Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. True Detective is back, and The Ringer's Chris Ryan and Jason Concepcion are our guides as we navigate the twisting pathways of season three's plots, themes, and characters on the flat circle a True Detective after show. Follow Jason and Chris as they chase down leads, explore each episode's cultural context, and discuss true crime cases that mirror the ones in the show. Join the guys live every Sunday night after True Detective on The Ringer's YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook pages. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, I want to start off with a pretty great announcement. I, Because I've spoken to Sean McVay alone twice, I am now the Miami Dolphins head coach. I've talked to him... I'm going to do you one better. I think I talked to him when he was a tight ends coach. So I feel like I have the ultimate trump card in this conversation. We've had like 15 minutes, like actual sit down conversations in the last year. And his agent came out today and said, if you talk to him for five minutes on a plane, you can be a head coach. So I'm six times qualified to be an NFL head coach. This started out as a joke. I wrote down on a piece of paper, uh, the flow chart. This was... Sunday, I believe. If you is Monday. If you know Sean McVay, you are hired. If you do not know Sean McVay, you're not hired. Now, Matt LaFleur was hired. He knows Sean McVay. But the real watershed moment for this was when Cliff Kingsbury, who was recently fired as Texas Tech coach, <laughs> for the last 40 years, the NFL turned its nose at anybody who'd come from college. And now we've so thoroughly panicked that we're hiring the fired guy. But in the in the Cardinals.com write-up, they literally, as an accomplishment, they're listing his bio, and they say he's friends with Sean McVay. It was the greatest moment in the history of coach hiring press releases. It was awesome. I was so happy. I just can't even believe it was real. I, I, I'm stunned. And it, it, do you want to you get into the nitty-gritty here? So let's let's talk about those two first yeah. because I think they exist in their own little world. And I guess the first thing I'll ask you is, do you mind either of these? We've been joking mm. about it and the jokes are easy to make, but do you have a significant problem with either of these teams choosing the guy they chose more or less because sure. they wanted their like Canal Street Sean McVay? Sure. So I don't, let, let's, let's back up here. I think in general, when you, everybody's looking in the same place, you're not going to find a lot of inefficiencies. I think in, in, in a weird way, they're try, every team is trying to be innovative by finding the innovative coach, and they're being extremely conservative and safe by doing so, okay? Because they're all looking sure. for the same exact guy. So Yeah, the blueprint has become very obvious. What, We've seen what it's become over the last year or it so. It becomes a numbers it, game. I've talked about this. The 2013 hiring cycle had eight openings, and Andy Reid is the only team... Only coach still with his his team that cycle, okay, and so by just a numbers game in the sense that if there are seven offensive head coaches of the eight openings, then someone's getting the seventh best head coach, seventh best offensive head coach hired in this cycle. And the problem is it's hard to decipher which one of those is. That's the what I'm best. saying. And so if Matt Lafleur is the best offensive head coach of this cycle, congratulations, the Packers might win 11 games next year. If he's the seventh best, that's a problem. If he's the fourth best, that's a problem. I would say there's going to be there's probably two good offensive coaches of this batch. 
We don't know. We still don't know. When the Rams hired Sean McVay, no one knew you were looking for a Sean McVay type. But we still no. don't know what a Sean McVay type means. Sean McVay has Wade Phillips. Sean McVay is obviously an incredible offensive mind, but he's also a culture builder. I mean, yes. we don't know what's going to happen if there's a, a a locker room problem next year. Are these guys just going to, you know, be in their office thinking of of man coverage beaters? I don't know. I, I just, we don't know what a Sean McVay type really is, and owners are just guessing. Yeah, but they're guessing most of the time when it comes to the coach hiring process. So this is not different to me. And I do think that we know what a Sean McVay type is kind of by the tail of the tape, right? It's an offensive-minded, play-calling head coach. That works right now. That is what the but successful it's, it's worked teams forever. I mean, Sean Payton has worked forever. Michael sure, McCarthy but it's for not to a this while. Extent. I'm just saying that, that 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 has it's not a new phenomenon. They're just there's just such an overcorrection towards it, and we're now skewing towards the ridiculous. Yeah, but I think that all of the the ones that have been hired for the most part have worked recently, and I think that's why teams are going to continue going that direction, and that's why I don't really mind it. I think that Sean, if you look at what happened, not only with Sean McVay. But with Matt Nagy, with Frank Reich, with mm-hmm. Doug Peterson, with what Andy Reid has done since kind of taking back over as a play-calling head coach in Kansas City. And obviously, Sean Payton's done it for a very long time. But I think there are just too many hits in recent years for teams to go in any other direction mm-hmm. unless you have a very a unique kind of power structure like the Broncos now have with Fangio and Kubiak. I think that's fine because Kubiak is a proven offensive coordinator and a very good one. But if you don't have that, I th- and obviously Gary Kubiak, I would assume, is not going anywhere to take a head coaching job. So that eliminates that as well. So if you don't, I think that I understand going this route in the same way that these teams have. That being said, you're right. We don't know if these guys can replicate the other elements of what makes Sean McVay Sean McVay. When I wrote about him earlier this year, I had talked to Andrew Whitworth during the playoffs last season. He was just talking about how Sean McVay is real genius and it just is in his empathy. And it's in his ability to gather information and listen to the other voices in the room and make the best decisions that will eventually come to a conclusion that makes everyone most comfortable. And that's not always easy for guys with massive egos to do consistently. And I have no idea if these guys are going to have that information retention, if they're going to be able to synthesize all the stuff that comes with being a head coach. That's yet to be proven. But I do think that they follow the guidelines of what you need just at a baseline level for what's been successful over the last two years. Sure. So... My my short answer to do I have a problem with the Lafleur hire is I don't know we we never yeah. know on these things Frank Reich in this moment I don't Frank Reich was not considered a home run hire Matt Nagy Correct. was not considered a home run hire you know I had the the so we sit here and we talk about and, and this is part of my problem with with sort of anonymous league sources is that we don't know if the person is ever correct the worst bit of scouting information I've ever gotten was a scout, and I've told the story before, who told me that this was in 2011, 2012, and he was like, Richard Sherman is terrible, and he talked his way into fame. And I remember a scout saying this. And so for like three weeks, I was like, oh, a scout told me this, okay? And then it turned out the scout was just wrong and he's an idiot. Yeah, he's insane. I, I had a coach, obviously, and Richard Sherman's one of the best cornerbacks, you know, of of, of this era. So the, scout, fame player. the scout's just an idiot. And so I had someone last year who told me that John Filippo would have been a better head coach choice last year than Frank Reich. Well, why? 
because they're guessing. And it turns out yes. that person was just an idiot. And so what I'm saying is people inside the NFL are wrong all the time about what works. Um, the owners don't know. GMs a lot of times don't know. And coaches themselves don't know. And there are, it, like any, any workplace, there are n- people who make decisions who are not very good at making these decisions. And so there's going to be a lot of whiffs and there's going to be a couple of successes. And it's just a numbers game and it just comes down to whether or not I don't know. What, it depends what you're looking for in a, in, a, in a coach. You know, Mark Murphy at the CEO of the Packers has installed uh, Gutenkunst and and Lafleur, and they're both young guys. And the plan, I guess, is to ride them for the next 10, 15 years. And we're going to find out within two years whether or not that plan is going to work. With Kingsbury, and I think that all of that is correct. And the real thing that teams are seeking out, if, and especially because we don't know if they're going to succeed or fail, are do they fit? Do they check these boxes that other coaches have been checking? Mm-hmm. And with Kingsbury, I think that he checks the most important box they're looking for, and that's, can he lift up our quarterback? Mm-hmm. And every single one of these choices with an offensive coach has been made with that in mind. I wrote about it today. Even though Fangi, or excuse me, even though Arians and Freddie Kitchens don't follow the same blueprint that Lafleur and Kingsbury do, just in the sense that they're not from offensive genius central casting, they definitely follow the same mold in the sense of we want our quarterback to be the best thing possible. And that's where I think the Kingsbury thing is okay because all they care about right now is building up Josh Rosen and not letting next last season happen again in year two and not having there be irreparable damage to Josh Rosen. Kingsbury, in this case, that if he makes Josh Rosen better, he's succeeding. That is what that, in their minds, I guarantee you that's what they're thinking. He, the, the record and everything else, the guy doesn't have to recruit anymore. There is a pool of defensive coaches in the NFL that he can just snag a coach from, and that guy's probably going to be better than the mistakes he made in, at Texas Tech with picking that guy. It, it just feels like I know that he's now taking over an organization and a company as an NFL head coach, but it's almost streamlining his role in a way because it doesn't come with the other nonsense that being a college head coach comes with. This is about making Josh Rosen better and all the other hires, in my opinion, are about making the quarterback better. And that's the point we've reached in the NFL. So Scott Barrett, who does a great job, tweeted this out. And I thought this was amazing. Baker Mayfield went five and three under Kingsbury then was essentially benched for Davis Webb. Patrick Mahomes went 13 and 19 under Kingsbury and he went 17 and 18 in all other games. Obviously, for a quarterback, wins and losses do not matter. For a coach, they do. And I just don't know... I think this is a packaging thing. I think it's because, I literally think it's because of the McVay. They were just like, this guy seems and looks like McVay. Yeah. And is a young guy. And that matters. I just, that matters I, in this decision, which is crazy. I, I, yeah. Yes. Yes. It matters in this decision. And I just think, I have no idea if Kingsbury is going to succeed at the NFL level. I just think that if you're choosing that way, you're choosing wrong. And I'm against the hire. I can understand that. Uh, and I think that, there are a lot of reasons to be against it. I, I just think if he's able to make Josh Rosen a good quarterback, mm-hmm. it's going to come up cover up a lot of other woes. I am excited to watch what the Cardinals' offense looks like next season with with Cliff Kingsbury. That is what I will say. Uh, there maybe there were other choices that were better. Maybe there were other ways you could go to get that same result without incurring the risk that comes with the guy who couldn't go 500 in college. But I don't know, man. I think that we've seen what works and. It's they did something different, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, because truly, a lot of ways who knows? Who fucking knows? 
we, I mean, all of these things, I, I would love to hear my take to certain coaching hires last year and just see how wrong I was about them. Uh, can I give you a, another thing to discuss? The Jets just hired Adam Gase. That is correct. Yeah, I, ju- I just saw that on my Twitter feed. Live reaction. What's your take? Uh, I mean, what? See, that's so this is interesting when we talk about Kingsbury and doing something different. This is not retreading better, Adam Gase. This is better. This is better than a this is better than Kingsbury's hire. You think so? Yeah. I actually don't mind it, but I'm curious what you're thinking. Well, is. I just think I mean he's won and he's made the playoffs at the NFL level. Um, I think that there were probably some roster problems there. Uh, totally in Miami, they had some talent, but they just never had a full sort of 46-man active roster on game day that that really impressed me. Um, I think that it was sort of a bad vibe in Miami. And I, I think he probably is better than a lot of other candidates. Again, if you're dead set on co- hiring an offensive coach, then Adam Gase is maybe in the upper half of available candidates. However, yes. however, would you rather, again, get the third or fourth best offensive coach in the market? Or would you rather go out and get a defensive coordinator who is the best? Or would you rather go out and get a special teams coach who is the best? You know, one of the things that that I've always heard, I remember Brian Billick saying this, and because and, John Harbaugh had coached special teams a little bit, and Brian Billick told me, he said, no one, no one really thinks about special teams coaches as head coaches, but they're the one group that has to put out more fires than anybody during the season. They're the team. They coach they, the whole roster. They, they they have to deal with a bunch of different position groups. They have to deal with just crises all the time because they never have enough guys. They're always dealing with the 53rd man on the roster because he just came in and he's going to be the flyer on punt or whatever it is, uh, on punt or whatever it is. And so I just... I think that there's adaptability there that it gets overlooked. So I guess what I'm saying is that I would have rather thought outside the box, hired someone like a, a, a Chris Richard, something like that, um, and instead of Adam Gase. But I do like Adam Gase more than Cliff Kingsbury. That's where I'm. That's sort of where I'm ranking them in my head. I, I would put Matt Lafleur. I can, I can and Adam understand Gase, all of that. Adam Gase and Matt Lafleur are tied in my mind. I don't mind it, and the reason that I just keep going back to going this route is because if you let's say you hired Dave Tobe mm-hmm. just for example who's the chief special teams coach mm-hmm. to be your head coach and you you try to find the best coordinators possible if your offensive coordinator in his first season puts together an incredible offense guess what's going to happen the season after he's gone mm-hmm. he's going to go I just feel like establishing consistency and security and continuity is easiest this route by just getting your play calling head coach that can be the definitive voice for your franchise. And I I don't mind that teams keep doing this because I just think it's the way to sustain success. If the guy is good, that's how you stay good in the NFL, in my opinion. Okay, here's a question. Are the Jets a less talented roster next year than the Dolphins were last year and two years ago? So I think the answer to that is yes. Across the entire roster, what makes the Jets' job different, and I've said this before, and we'll get to Arians in a second, but the reason I would go with a retread coach is, one, if you expect that 
that coach was in terrible circumstances the first time, or if that coach left his job for no reason the first time. I mean, Arians was a very good coach in Arizona. Andy Reid was a very good coach in Philadelphia. It just had kind of run its course with that group of players in those cities and kind of seeing what they can do one more time in new surroundings is okay with me. The Gase hire to me is about improved circumstances the second time around, and that is almost entirely rooted and what he can do with the quarterback. If Sam Darnold ends up being good, Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than anything that Gase worked with in Chicago, in, in Miami. I mean, obviously, Peyton Manning's a different beast, but in the steps after that. So if you think that Sam Darnold is real, I think that's why you can talk yourself into this time around being different for Adam Gase than the first time around. Hey, it all goes back to this. Who the hell knows what's going on? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that the Freddie Kitchens thing, we, let's talk about Freddie Kitchens and Bruce Arians very quick. Maybe they, they should, Maybe we should get rid of the head coach. <laughs> Just don't have yeah, one. Yeah, like the Oscars Just thing. Just like, you you run the offense, you run the defense. Maybe you name like a, like a, a club legend. Just no host. Like a club legend to meet with the media and speak for the team. So like, like the Ravens could just have like Ed Reed come to the podium like once a week and just tell funny stories. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I do think it matters. I, I do think the Oscars without a host is like a. Well, no, you could have like a, you could have like a, a locker room coach, who's like, guys, we got to stick together. I know this is a bit. I, it's I it's not a bit. Believe I would rather I have. I would rather this. have no coach than than have the seventh worst coach of an eight or the eighth worst coach of a of a cycle. I'd rather try something new rather than just like I'm not I'm 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 Adam Gase is better than no coach, but at some point there's going to be a hire that is worse than no coach. It it would probably be the Kingsbury one, right? Isn't that the I, mean, I think of all um, the ones of all I, the ones well, this no, season, here's that's the deal. Here's it. the deal on that. Would Kingsbury have taken the OC job in a no coach situation? I think he would have. I think so too. So, well, now you have no head coach, and then you, and then you bring in a, a DC. And and now you just and now the head the head coach the the de facto spokesperson is just going to be Kurt Warner or Larry Fitz. He's not going to do anything. And then you have a motivational coach. All right, let's let's talk about Bruce Arians and Freddie Kitchens very quickly. I, I said this the other day when Jay Glazer tweeted it that he thought that if anyone could fix Jameis Winston, it was Bruce Arians. And I think that's true, but I also think the answer might be. No one can. I think Bruce Arians is the short list of guys who can do it, but I also don't think it's possible. So this might all be for naught, but I really like the Bruce Arians hire in Tampa Bay. I think it makes sense on virtually every level if you're committed to sticking with Jameis Winston as your quarterback, which ownership clearly is. Yeah, they're really committed in a surprising way. So let's let's talk about this for a second. I was thinking about Bruce Arians in the last 24 hours, obviously. So... He had Ben Roethlisberger. He mm-hmm. was the wide receivers coach in 04, offensive coordinator in 07. So that was sort of into Roethlisberger's career, which obviously was drafted in 04. But he did not have Ben Roethlisberger directly when he was a rookie. He had Peyton Manning. He was a quarterback's coach of Peyton Manning. He was a Browns offensive coordinator, I think with Tim Couch. Didn't do very well. And then he had Andrew Luck and then Carson Palmer and then didn't do much with the Arizona Cardinals. Other than, excuse me, when when Palmer was out, he did not do much with the oh no, the Ryan Lewis and, and Drew Stans. So uh, he helped oversee the best years of. I mean, he helped oversee some really good years from Carson Palmer. I know. Okay, but Carson Palmer played well at the beginning of his career as well. 
Of is course, there, but I mean, he resurrected Carson Palmer's career. Is there a situation where he made a is there a situation where he made a bad quarterback good? No, but he also played with some really, really bad quarterbacks. I'm just all. I'm just. I'm just I mean, thinking could, out could loud. Anyone here. could anyone make Drew Stanton and Ryan Lindley good? But can anybody make Jameis Winston a good NFL quarterback? J- Jameis Winston is certainly more talented than those guys are, and that's. I don't know if the answer to that question is yes, because I think that Jameis Winston's. Problems as a quarterback might be so inherent that no one can just scheme them away or coach them out of it, coach those mistakes out of him. I think every once in a while, you're just going to have Jameis Winston throw the ball into triple coverage for no reason in the second quarter of a tie game. And we're just going to look around and be like, what the fuck is he doing? I I just think that might be Jameis Winston's destiny as an NFL quarterback. And if that's the case, it's a lost cause anyway. But I do think that the way that Jameis plays, how much he wants to push the ball down the field, and the way that Bruce Arians' offense works really melts together well. Arians has spent an entire career of offensive design being able to, I mean, at least in Arizona, being able to scheme an offense that is based on risk-taking and pushing the ball deep while also mitigating risk by giving his quarterback easy throws. And I just think that's the perfect approach if Jameis Winston is ever going to succeed. And if Bowles is the defensive coordinator, I'd do this. I'd hire him a hundred times out of a hundred if that's the pairing. I really like that. Yeah, and uh, but apparently Byron Leftwich would be calling plays. I don't know if you saw that. Is that true? I believe so. Yes. That is shocking. I I always thought Arians is the guy that would clutch that <laughs> the headset like to the day he died. That is really surprising. Yeah, Bruce Arians confirms Byron Leftwich will call plays for Bucks in 2019. He says he feels very, very wow. comfortable with Leftwich calling the place. That was separate from the fact that he said that Byron will call them. I am dead wrong about that. I said yesterday, I thought I thought you'd have to pry it from his cold, dead hands. That is Uh-oh. shocking. Are you trying to break news about Arians? Hey, no, I, I just, I, uh, that's always how, kind of how I took it. I mean, he said that to me at times. Just the fact that if he wasn't calling plays, he wouldn't be interested in coaching, really. So clearly something has changed over his year in the media. So that uh, that's interesting. Okay, well, there you go. I think a little bit differently about it now because I saw Byron Leftwich call plays over the second half of the season with the Cardinals. So it gives him a bit of a different feel. All right, interesting. All right, uh, one more, I guess two more. Freddie Kitchens, this makes sense, right? Like, again, if we're trying to prop up the quarterback, sure. we've seen what he can do. Like, again. why go out and find someone that works with Baker Mayfield if you had a guy that get, turned the Browns into the offense with the number one offensive DVOA in the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it can work. I think it comes down to, there's a couple of things. Number one, is Baker Mayfield, is Freddie Kitchens just uniquely equipped to unlock Baker Mayfield or was Baker Mayfield just ready to be unlocked? And, and that's, that's the question for me. It's impossible I, to answer. Exactly. And so I think, I don't fault the Browns for a, if it ain't broke don't uh if it ain't broke don't fix it uh kind of approach. I I can see why they made it. I I I'd much rather have that than Kevin Stefanski who was the other one uh in the mix here. I I think it's a it's a pretty good hire. I'm with you. I just don't understand the Kevin Stefanski thing. I mean, what reason would we believe that he was ready to be a head coach and especially when you have a better option right there in the build. Yeah, I'm with you. I I'm I absolutely uh, one more goodbye to Vic Fangio, who I will miss oh, yeah. with all of my heart. Uh, he deserved it. I'm, I'm happy for the guy. He did an unbelievable job this season. 
I got a text from somebody today that uh, from a player that w- told me to kind of keep my head up just because he felt like because offense or defensive success is hard to sustain that injecting some new blood creatively and schematically might be a way to stave off that regression and you don't get stale by bringing in someone new. I, I think that is an overly rosy way to look at it. I, that's I, I'll, I'll take it, but I also think that keeping some sort of continuity with that scheme I, and also Fangio just being a truly special defensive play caller, I think that's going to be really difficult to replace. And I just don't know where it's going to come from. I mean, you can look around the league and you know, we found position coaches that have been elevated, done a great job. You know, Matt Eberflus is a great example, um, but it's maybe it's Ed Donatel, the in-house option, who's the defensive backs coach, and maybe Bowles Spurns area at the last minute. I don't know, but Ed I do Donatel know be- is the defensive backs coach. Yeah. Wow. He's been with Fangio for years. No, he was oh, with him in oh, uh, San Francisco too. I yeah. know who he is. He, he, I mean, he's he was, done a really, really good job. He was the Packers defensive coordinator eight, 20 years ago. Yep, he was the Packers defense coordinator, and then he was the coordinator in Atlanta as well. I mean, it's been 12 or so years he was since he was a coordinator. coordinator. Well, no, he was the coordinator of the Washington Huskies 2018. There you go. Yeah, but in college. Yeah, he was yeah. in college for a little bit and then came back. But I honestly, I wouldn't mind that. He's a guy who's called defensive plays before. He is an in-house guy who knows the scheme. He's had a lot of success with that group. I think that that works. I mean, it's comparable to me. Obviously, a little bit different because Martindale, it was his first shot. But look what's happened with Wink Martindale on the Ravens. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that... I love if Wink you, if they did, If they chose to go with Donatello, it would definitely track. I'd rather have Wink Martindale than Cliff Kingsbury. That's the conversation, right? I mean, it's... How many defensive coordinators have even gotten interviews it's been Chris, Chris Richard, Richard, Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio, and Brian Flores. Right? That's really been it. Yes. So it's we t- clearly see what teams want to do. I, I wouldn't mind the Wink Martindale thing, but we've talked about it before. I just think if you have that guy at the four, if figurehead of your organization that is a play calling head coach, it puts you in a good spot. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to sell an owner on this no head coach thing. Sounds like John Elway wants that now that he's picking Vic Fangio's staff. What is it going to be? Kubiak and what else has come out about it? Clint Kubiak is your quarterback's coach. There it is. Excellent. How'd they, how'd they find him? Not shocking at all. How did they find <laughs> Clint Kubiak? <laughs> they scoured the they world, scoured my it. man. Do you, did you ever no hear stone about stone unturned for Clint Kubiak. Did you hear about this, Scott? Uh, oh, no. What's Brian, uh, Kirk Ferentz's son's name? Brian? Brian Ferentz. Brian. Do you, did yeah. you hear that story where Brian uh, Kirk Ferentz was like, we interviewed like, you know, 75 people for this job and he was the most qualified guy. That's amazing. It was an all-timer. I, really, I, really I forget what the actual that. number was, but it was some ludicrous number, like more than three. And he, it was just like, wow, we scoured, the, we did a national search and it turns out my son was the best equipped. Every single one of these coaches' sons should send a basket of muffins to Kyle Shanahan because he is the only example of this working out well. Every single other time, it goes terribly. Like, what there about are 10 Brian Schottenheimers for every Kyle Shanahan. What about, yeah, what I was going to say, what about sk- the scheme lord in Seattle? Yeah, I mean, that's the perfect example. It, it's just, you look at what those two options and it's like, oh my God. Kyle Shanahan is the only coach's son that got his job almost solely through nepotism that has ever worked well, out Bill well. Well, Bill Belichick's dad was a scout. He was a scout, but I mean, he wasn't an NFL head coach. Yeah, they should thank Kyle Shanahan. What, when, it, when does Steve Belichick get 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 the interview? It's probably like ten years from now. Right? I don't think After it's ten years from now. I think he yeah, might be. Sure people floating. Some of the Patriots writers were floating 
that he might be the next defensive coordinator with Brian Flores. Wow. I mean, it makes, I mean, he is, you know. He's like the senior member of that defensive staff at this point. Um, I mean, he's not far off. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really kidding. He's been there for a while and they've had some turnover now, but their, their position coaches actually hang out a long time and, but they're, who is their running their linebackers coach that switched the, to being the defensive line coach? I can never remember. The Patriots defensive staff well, like, they, changes they all pa- the time. They Patrick they, Graham and Patrick Patrick Graham left. Uh linebackers coach is Brian Patrick Graham. Flores. That's right. Remember, remember case he's not actually the defensive coordinator. Brendan Daly yeah, is their who defensive is, line coach. These are like all guys you've talked to at some point in your life because they've been at the Super Bowl 10 times. So I but I for some reason I just can never remember their names. Continue. Brian Flores, Brendan Daly, Josh Boyer, and Steve Belichick are the are the four defensive coaches listed. Yeah, it's none of them. I don't know why I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean they they've just got they've got a weird staff, man. Yeah, they their guys have been there forever though. Ivan Fears has been the running backs coach for like twenty five years. Skarnacki has been the offensive line coach for like twenty five years. They're great technicians and they're really good position coaches. They don't necessarily yeah. like. There's a lot of these guys. Like I'm not sure, you know. The defensive line coach, Brandon Daly, I don't, is he going to be a defensive coordinator? I don't know. I, I've only talked to him once in my life, but I'm just, he's a great defensive line coach, and Belichick knows to keep those guys around, do everything he can to keep them. Yeah. And then Chad O'Shea has been the, the wide receivers coach forever. So it, they, they definitely have some continuity there, which helps. I mean, their ability to just sustain is in part because those guys know that system so incredibly well. All right. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is sponsored by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection for a new smart home at your service, customized for your lifestyle. With a secure ADT smart home, you can set up custom automations unique to your home, use ADT automation to unlock the front door for friends who arrive at your place early for the game while you're still out getting snacks. Your system can also automatically do things like lock the doors and set the thermostat when you leave, even close your garage from virtually anywhere. All controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice and backed by 24-7 protection. There's no need to worry about installation and configuring your system. ADT will D-I-F-Y. Do it for you. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices and security features like indoor and outdoor cameras, locks, lights, and garage door control, even video doorbells. Visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. ADT.com smart. All right. Do you want to get to the games? Let's do it. All right. Let's go in order here. Let's start with the early game on Saturday. Colts at Chiefs. This is a fun one, man. I I feel like the conversation about this has been rooted a lot in Mahomes' performance against zone coverage and how often the Colts use zone. Best quarterback against zone coverage in the NFL. So, And he's completed about 65% of his passes, I believe. Uh, I think it was about eight yards in attempts and 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So I know those numbers sound like they're just going to slice and dice this team and the Colts are completely screwed, but it's actually worse than he is overall as a quarterback. So it just feels like this is the right approach to stopping Patrick Mahomes, but but no one can stop Patrick Mahomes. Right. So it's, it's two separate things. He's the best quarterback in the NFL against zone defense. He's also the best quarterback in the NFL against all defense. Yes. That's what he does. He's going to win the MVP. He had 50 touchdowns and 12 interceptions this year. Okay, so I also think, hey, guys, 
So there's a coverage that Patrick Mahomes is really good against. You know who else gets to know that information? The Indianapolis Colts. Like, it's not like Matt Eberflus is like, well, that's it for us. We have to run this coverage. I understand that Honestly, they're, they're though, a zone team, but I, I, un, they, can, they can throw some wrinkles in there to be able to maybe alleviate. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. I just want to be clear about that. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. But, you know, they have a really good coaching staff who are just as, as aware of the stats as we are. So I don't mind those numbers, though. I feel like if you're playing against the Chiefs at this point, wouldn't you want to make him subsist on underneath throws, take what's there, not let your kind of suspect corners, especially if you're asking them to man yeah, up with guys but, I mean, there were, some, there were some 15-yard kind of zone-beating throws that Watson just missed. And if, if Mahomes hits those, it's going to be a long day for Indy. It absolutely is, but I'd rather watch the or force them to march up and down the field sure. than have Tyree Kill just oh, yeah, yeah. toast Pierre Desir. If, that, if that's the other coverage. option, then yeah. But I think that's the other option. I, I just don't know. That's the problem with the Colts defense right now is that I think they have to rely on scheme and exi- and just playing that style because they don't have the talent on the back end to match up with a team like this. And if you're making Mahomes complete those throws and just kind of move the ball, matriculate it slowly down the field, I think that's the best approach. So even if he's completing 70% of his passes, I just don't know if you have a better option if you're this Colts defense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, playing Mahomes is really freaking hard. Yeah. I don't, I'd rather just make them move the ball slowly than have them get these 50-yard chunks, which they'd probably be able to if you came out there and tried to go play man coverage against them and just say, our guys against your guys. Mahomes is 22nd in the NFL in passer rating under pressure. And I know we've said this a million times, and we, you, I, I always laugh at passer rating under pressure because everybody, they always say, oh, well, man, you, you, Tom Brady does not want to be pressured. And it's like, well, who wants to be pressured? Who's asking for pressure? Everybody's uncomfortable. No one's as good as they are when they have a clean pocket. But I do think Patrick Mahomes having a 70 pass running that makes him mortal. I think the Colts have to do anything they can, and they can do it, to just get in Patrick Mahomes' face. Again, it's a very obvious point, but it's something worth watching. If they can do that, he will look human. I, I think you're right about that. I just... I don't know. It doesn't seem like this team wants to send huge blitzes and everything else. And I just, if you're not doing that, I'm not sure how you're going to create consistent pressure against him because this defensive line, it's fine. I I just don't know. But I don't, is Autry going to get, you know, consistent interior pressure against those guards? I don't know if he's the guy to take over this game. And I don't trust their edge rushers to go after guys like Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. So if you're not going to be able to win one-on-one battles, are you're going to have to blitz in order to get generate pressure. And I'm just not sure you want to do that either. May I give you a couple of stats? Sure. A couple of stats for you. The Colts have increased their blitz rate from 12% in the first 13 weeks of the season to 30% since week 14. Okay? There you go. When the Colts blitz, they generate pressure 40% of the time, the fourth highest pass rush rate in the NFL. I do think it's something to watch. They can blitz. They can blitz effectively. It's interesting. Again, I still think the Chiefs win this game. I just see a path where the Colts can. All right, I didn't know that. So yeah. I, I didn't know those numbers. I, I knew for the season, 
that they had been pretty low, all things considered, because that's just not where Eberflus comes from. I mean, his background is in non-blitzing. I mean, they, they're pretty conservative when it comes to that kind of stuff. So if they feel comfortable doing it, it might be the best route because I just, I don't know. I don't think they can get home without doing it. And I think that if they sit back, he's just going to kind of shred them apart. So you are know, a six seed. It. You're a six seed on the road playing against the presumptive AFC favorite, a team I think will make the Super Bowl. You have to take risks. Hey, Bruce Arians yeah. is back in football, so we get to say it. No risk it, no biscuit. <laughs> so on the other side of the ball, I think this is the reason why I thought that even if they gave up some points, they could maybe stick in this game. Just because when we've watched the Chiefs in recent weeks, they've relied on their pass rush and their front four to create pressure to make up for their deficiencies on the back end. And I don't know if you can do that against this Colts team. We just watched them play against a very good Texans pass rush last week, and that team was completely nullified. So you have that offensive line that's playing so well for Indianapolis with Ryan Kelly back. Mm-hmm. I think the Colts are going to be able to move the ball up and down the field against this defense. Uh, yeah, you're not going to get any arguments on that. I just think the Colts... I think the Chiefs' ability to put up a ton of freaking points is going to be the difference. And I actually... I feel the same way. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, so I'm with you on that. I was actually oddly impressed. I, I don't want to read too much into it because it was, you know, they were it was one, two, three Cancun for for the Raiders. But I I went to their Week 17 game and look, man, their defense made enough plays to where I felt confident that they'll at least be able to maybe create a turnover or two. And that's all you really need if the Chiefs are operating at their full offense. That's the thing. I feel like it, they maybe they can create a turnover too, but we know turnovers are hugely boosted by pass pressure, and I'm just not sure they're going to be able to get it consistently Chief, against just this because of the line. The, the line, not because yeah, I mean, they, you do know. I mean, the, the the Chiefs have the two best, uh, two of the best pressure guys on the oh, outside in the NFL. Yeah, they're excellent. I think I, at I mean, one point maybe. they were the two best, and I don't know if that has has continued because Bradley Chubb and Von Miller came on by the end of the year, but I think that they had the best, the most pass uh, hurries or rushes at the, at the, at the end of the season. They've been phenomenal. I'm just not sure that this Colts team is that susceptible to even really good pass rushers. Mm-hmm. They've done an excellent job of protecting luck the entire season. And I don't know, Braden Smith was really good against Watt last week. I mean, is he going to be any better against just any worse against Justin Houston? I don't know the answer to that. So I mean, if Costanzo and Smith can slow down Houston and Ford and those guards, including Quentin Nelson, can do a decent job against Chris Jones, then I think the Colts are going to be able to move the ball at will. So it's just a matter of who scores more. The over-under is 57 and a half. I'm going over, man. <laughs> I think there are going to be a lot of points in this game. Yeah, I agree. Points. Lots of points. All right, let's move on. Cowboys, Rams. I've been in Dallas all week with the Cowboys. What's uh, the vibe? To a lot. Vibe seems to be pretty good. I mean, this team I think is confident and rightfully so. I mean, I didn't think they would beat Seattle. And now we're here and their defense is playing so well. They didn't beat, they didn't beat Seattle. They beat Brian Schottenheimer. That, that's, that's a joke. I, 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 I don't get mad at me, yeah. Cowboys fans. You won. That actually, actually is a good joke, though. I, I think that the defense is playing very well. Uh, I think that we've seen the Rams offense sputter over the second half of the season, even though they were good for the final the two weeks. splits are so. not good. It's not hard to imagine this Dallas team giving the Rams a really hard time. It's not hard to imagine the Cowboys winning this game. No, it's not. And I I do think that a lot of the Cowboys' strengths match up with a lot of the Rams' weaknesses. So uh, let's get to some of them. One, defensive line. The Rams, or excuse me, the Cowboys' defensive line has generated consistent pressure. 
especially over the second half of the year when they've gotten Gregory back in full swing. That those that pair of defensive ends plus Malik Collins doing some stuff, they've really gotten after the quarterback. And we've seen in recent weeks what happens when the Rams can't rely on their play action game and struggle after not being able to run the ball. They really don't protect the quarterback well, and their pass game falters as well. So that's the recipe that I think you'd want to follow if you're Dallas. Their, their run defense has been excellent all season. So if they can stop the run, force the Rams into third downs, and then get after Goff with that front four that's playing very well, the Rams are going to struggle. I mean, I, I just think it's that simple, and I 100% could see it happening. Jared Goff is 28th in the NFL under pressure. Okay. And that that athletic front seven of the Cowboys is going to be able to get in his face. Dak Prescott is third against pressure. That's important because what do we know about Aaron Donald? What do we know about all those guys? They're going to get in his face. That's something to watch. I'm not ready to call because we haven't seen playoff Rams. We didn't see them play last week. It's recency bias. I'm not going to call this a Cowboys win. I'm saying I would not be surprised. If I were to pick something, it would be a close Rams win, something like 24-22. But at the, on the other hand, I don't really think, you know, clutch is what it is. I don't know how real it is, but if anybody's clutch right now, it's Dak freaking Prescott. He's playing well. I mean, there were some throws he made in that Seattle game. The touchdown down the right sideline, that was just like, wow. It's just a gorgeously placed ball. I think I believe it was to Michael Gallup. And it was just like, all right, man. I like seeing this. He's playing decent. He, came, he missed just, Michael Gallup once a week for like two months. Now he's hitting him. <laughs> That's called improvement. And you, you talk about Donald getting after them, but think about how good this Dallas offensive line yeah. is when they're healthy and they're playing better. You know, I think that there's a chance we just see Donald take advantage of Connor Williams five sure. times in this game. But I was really impressed with how the offensive line played against Seattle. They were passing off stunts well, everything else, minus there was one Frank Clark sack where Williams just missed it. And I think that's the guy you can take advantage of. So if we have C. Donald just devouring Connor Williams over and over again, and the Rams are unable to kind of bump their protections that way, or excuse me, the Cowboys are, then maybe the Cowboys can't move the ball. But if they manage to slow Donald down, and we, I think over the last month or so, there's reason to believe they can, then I believe they're going to be able to move the ball through the air too. And their run defense for the Rams is bad. And I, they absolutely should lean on Ezekiel Elliott in this game. So I don't know. The Rams are a better team, but I just see so many ways where this Cowboys team is just built to kind of take advantage of where the Rams are weak. I completely agree with you. I have one final point on this, which is if if everything goes wrong for the Rams offense and they lose, and Leighton Van Der Esch balls out, Byron Jones has two interceptions, nobody can stop anything from the Dallas front seven, what do you do if you're the freaking Packers or you're the Cardinals and you just basically put all your eggs in the basket that the, what the Rams and Niners do is the future? You're just looking at that and going, this isn't good. Well, it's it's very different, right? Because I'm writing about this for tomorrow. I'm writing about how the Rams use 11 personnel exclusively. Uh -huh. It's all they do. And if you look at what Lafleur did in Tennessee, it's a mix of Shanahan and of McVay and also just route concepts that aren't even native to either of those offensive systems. So mm -hmm. I, I think that these guys cross-pollinate in more ways than we believe. No one runs the offense that Sean McVay runs. It's the most extreme choice of any offensive approach in the entire NFL. So I think you're more going for the vibe of that coach rather than trying to mimic no, his No, I know, but system. I'm saying you're not, you're, you, you know for a fact 
oh, not a fact, but you are pretty sure you're getting a sub Sean McVay quarter uh, coach. You're getting a yes. lesser version of Sean McVay. And if Sean McVay, uh, to quote Billy Bean in, in Moneyball, if his shit don't work in the playoffs, that's that's a very funny turn. Now, obviously, I know that it's not that different. I don't want anyone, you know, playoff football is not incredibly different, but it would be very, very interesting to me how coaching hires and teams react if Sean McVay is now over two in the playoffs and the Dallas defense is able to shut him down. I'll be curious to see what Dallas does against that offense because teams that have gone base against them for the most part have struggled because they're just going to throw the ball all over the place against you. And the Bears are an exception to that. The Bears just stuck in base the whole game and the Cowboy or the Rams had to answer for it. For the most part, though, the Rams are happy to see a team line up with three linebackers mm-hmm. against them because they're just going to throw it because they're in 11. So if the Cowboys can stop the run with only Van Der Esch and Smith on the field, then I think it becomes tough sledding for, for the Rams. And I, I could see that happening. That would not surprise me. All right, next. Let's get to Chargers Patriots. I'm going, game I'm going to at, this correct? game. I'm going, I'm jealous, baby. man. I'm jealous. You should I, be. Rivers, Rivers, Brady, Chargers, Patriots. I don't know. It just it w- awakens something in me. It like brings me back to a decade ago. It's fun. I, I am really, really excited about this game. And the the one area that I'm kind of most curious about is what's going to happen with the Chargers defensive personnel against the Patriots mm-hmm. because we saw them use those seven defensive backs last week. And it seems like that might be, even if they don't do it to this extreme against New England, because that was partially how they wanted to handle Lamar Jackson. But even if they go to that a little bit and they want to stick with those safety as linebacker approaches, I think the Patriots are content to just line up and try to run the ball at them the whole game. So I'm really interested to see what the cat and mouse game is on that side of the ball with how the Patriots attack the way that the Chargers decide to line up. I'm fascinated by it. And Bill Belichick is getting... He's in overpraise mode, and I, I actually kind of feel like he really believes it because the Chargers are really, really good. I don't know if you uh, did. You <laughs> Their see team is so talented. Did you see him get a little bit perturbed because one of the reporters said Williams, and he had to make clear that there are two Williamses and they're both good. Um, I thought that was kind of as, as the receivers obviously That's great. on, on That's Los great. Angeles, but. I'm fascinated by it. I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to see what they think is the threat they try to take away. I mean, obviously, I think Belichick said it this week. Keenan Allen is as good a receiver as there is in the NFL. I also, are we putting Keenan Allen? Because I know we now do the thing. We've done it all year, maybe two years, where we just say there's like six receivers and they're all the best receiver in the NFL. Is Keenan Allen there? We're not there yet with him? He is one step down from me. I love Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen is one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, my affection for him knows no limit. I do not put him in the same category as Julio and DeAndre Hopkins. I thought it was guys. funny I because he's R- one step down. Rusillo pointed out we we also have like ten guys. Everyone calls the best player in football. There's one best player in football right now. You think it's Aaron Donald? And compared to the other player dispositions, yes. Okay, it is Aaron Donald. There's a lot of guys. I'm just saying. We hear a lot. Oh, this guy's the best player. I've, in I've been saying the same guy for like three years. So it, it's definitely Aaron Donald okay. to me. I see. think that Aaron Donald took the mantle from a healthy J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt's back, baby. He's very back. He was excellent this year, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't, still doesn't compare to what wow. Aaron Donald is currently wow. doing. Wow. Okay. What, what, what do you see in this game? 
I'll be curious to see what the uh, the Chargers do offensively, mm-hmm. too. I, I think that they can run the ball against this Patriots team. That's really the biggest difference between this Chargers team and other teams we've seen kind of in the Melvin Gordon era is that th- that team has struggled to run the ball consistently. Their offensive line has been a big issue, and they have continuity there this year. Uh, they have Mike Pouncey really just being a calming presence in the middle of that line. And then being able to really churn away yards on the ground has set this team apart from others that we've seen. I think against this Patriots team, you can do that. On the other side, the one weakness we've seen from the Chargers offense recently has been their offensive line and pass protection at right tackle. And if Trey Flowers can really take over this game, I think that it's going to be something to watch because they don't usually let him just pin his ears back and go. But if they do in this game, I think he's going to be able to take advantage of Tevi consistently. So uh, that's definitely one matchups that I feel like could determine the outcome here. Mm-hmm. All right, Kevin, before we move on, uh, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, do, do you feel like the Patriots just I'm mystique weird. at home is enough? I, I kind of think I keep going back to this. I'm sorry. I believe in home field advantage in general. It, when it gets to the divisional and conference round, again, no team that has made the Super Bowl since 2012 has played on the road, okay? And I believe especially in Foxborough. And they don't lose in Foxborough. The last time they lost in Foxborough was that championship game. But I just think that there's something... I don't think the Chargers... I think it would take a superhuman effort to go in and win a playoff game in Foxborough. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. I don't have any advanced stats for you. But I like the Patriots in this game. Close. I think it's close. I think it's, I, I think we might actually see one of those like, oh my God, how did Tom Brady do this again games? Maybe something like 2016. A little low scoring. I absolutely think we could see that. I am not picking that though. I, I am picking the Chargers. I, I think that they're just more talented. I really do. I think they have a better team than the Patriots. And outside of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady at home, which should be a factor and is a factor, there's nothing else that leads me to believe the Patriots are going to win this game. I just feel like the Chargers have so many advantages all over the field. And I think it's going to be close because, again, that, that Belichick-Brady thing is real. I think they're going to be able to move the ball a little bit. I think they're going to find a way. But I don't know, man. I, I just think the Chargers are a really, really good team. All right, lastly. New Orleans and Philadelphia, a game that I will be at. This game, so this I- game, this game is almost like defies analysis because they played this season and it was the second biggest margin of victory. They played all recently. Year. It, it was an absolute bloodbath. It was, I, I mean, believe, I believe I remember doing this in worst picks. I believe it was the biggest uh, loss a defending Super Bowl champion has ever had. Uh, it was an embarrassment. And the fact that this team that played in that game is now in the divisional round is amazing. I mean, it's not as if they, I'm not saying they don't deserve to be there. They, they are, they are good, but I just cannot believe it's the same team. I can't believe the team that played the bears last week is the same team that played against the saints in new Orleans. It's Nick Foles, baby. There, there it is. It's, it's Nick like, Foles, it's, but it's so many other things. Have you, are you familiar with this a little team called the 1980 U S men's hockey team? I, I am familiar with that. They team, got yes. pasted by the Russians early on. There it is. I can't back. believe you're doing this. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that uh, Nick Foles is, is Miracle 2 starting Nick Foles. Listen, I think the Saints are going to probably win the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not picking. I'm just joking about this, this Nick Foles thing. Um, again, 
Uh, I, I'm ready to believe anything with Foles, but I just think that that Saints defense is really freaking good. And I think that the fact that we haven't seen the same efficient Drew Brees we had maybe in the first 10, 12, 13 weeks of the season, I think that's okay because he's still Drew Brees. That defense has gotten almost to the elite level since in, in, in the interim. Uh, I, I really like the Saints team. Yeah, I, I that team's going to be really hard to beat at home. I also just think that that... On the turf. Eagles the offense on the turf, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you saw what happened with Avonta Maddox last week. He's been good in stretches, but you can also take advantage of him on those double moves and yes, you know, you man-beating concepts. We and saw I just, that. It, I mean, I, Michael Thomas isn't that sort of receiver, but Traquan Smith is. I mean, Ted Ginn, is, is Ted Ginn playing in this game? I mean, pro- probably, probably he's going to catch some 30-yard pass and everyone's yeah, going to tweet at us that Danny Kelly is a genius, which is true. So, I, the, the Saints do have the personnel to do this. I also... And we look at the Eagles as this team that has been able to stop the run consistently over the last couple of years, but that has not been the case this year. I mean, their run defense has been pretty mediocre, mm-hmm. especially on runs to the perimeter. And that's actually where Mark Ingram has been really dangerous since he came back. So I think that the Saints are going to be able to run the ball more often than we think in this game. And the Eagles, are the, they've given up the second most receptions in the league this year to running backs outside of the Falcons who are just were on a historic pace. And that's what the Saints want to do in this passing game too, is attack you with Kamara. I, as much as I think that the Eagles have this sort of magic, I'm not sure they're going to be able to slow down Breeze enough for them to have any chance in this game. I mean, I think it, it's a touchdown win for New Orleans. Yeah, it's, it's 99% looking like the Saints should win this game, and there's 1% that's just screaming there's something magical about Nick Foles, and and it's bigger than all of us. That's My, my prediction is Saints win, but I'm ready, again, for anything. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pick Michael Thomas against Craven LeBron, LeBlanc. I, I feel comfortable doing go that. Go ahead and pick, up, pick, up, pick against Nick Foles. See what happens. I've already done it once. Now, it's uh, it's well probably like Saints... 30 to 20? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I, that's maybe kind like of the 30, game 30 to 17. Yeah, I, I think the Saints are just are better. And at home, uh, they just have too many advantages. I'm, I'm not sure how to build this case for the Eagles because, again, uh, this Eagles pass rush can't take advantage of the Saints team. I mean, their offensive line is good. Teron Armstead is back. Even if he's a little bit banged up, I, I still have just too much faith in what the Saints offense is. Yep. All right, man. I, uh, I'm looking forward to a night in New Orleans or two, hanging out, going to a game. It's playoff time, baby. This is fun. Uh, I'm not looking forward to any nights out in New England. I learned something in Kansas City, which is I just make, I have all these plans to go out and have dinner and eat meals like a human, and then it's cold, and then I just say, I'm just going to stay in the hotel. It is not going to be cold in New Orleans, and I'm very looking no, forward I know, to my but meal it will on not Saturday be night when I'm there. So. warm in, in New England. It's also, there's not much going on in Foxborough. Hang out in Patriots Place. Excuse me, a little city called Providence, Rhode Island. Go to I go to the Scorpion Mexican restaurant wow. or whatever it's called. There. Shots fired. I Patriots Place is not fun, man. There's not a lot happening in Patriots Place. Good for Robert Kraft for doing what he can down there. All right, is that all we got? That's it. All right. Uh, as always, guys, we will be back on Sunday. I will be coming back from straight from the Saints game. So, but we'll get to you as soon as we can. And uh, as always, thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys.
Today's episode is sponsored by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you. Backed by 24-7 protection and controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do things like check on your home's cameras, even while you're in the nosebleeds. Visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a smart home just for you. <laughs> 